0: Today's passage will be from Luke 9, 1 through 6. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Thank you, Alyssa. It is special having her read. I was her youth pastor back in the day, as her and her twin sister Kelly and older brother Ryan grew up here at Calvary Church, and also attended Calvary Christian School. And a little bio on Alyssa. I know you're not prepared for this, but uh, Alyssa, as she grew up here, went to Foothill High School. Any Foothill Knights in the house? Okay. Tustin? El Medina? Okay, okay. I'll stop there. Garden Grove? Okay, okay. All right. Stop. Stop. Um, So Alyssa went to Foothill and then went to Point Loma. Go sea lions, I think it is now. So she went to Point Loma, graduated from Point Loma, came back here to Orange County and started in the clothing industry. and, And really was doing well at that and beginning to progress kind of up the ladder of that industry when God began to speak to her in some very clear and profound ways and said, Alyssa you're doing well here. You could do a ministry here in the clothing industry, but I am specifically calling you. I am sending you to the land of middle schoolers <laughs> and high school students in the public school system. And I remember sitting with you, Alyssa, that summer, almost 10 years ago, it be 10 years this summer, and wrestling and praying and going, God, I think we've heard clearly from you that I'm called, that you're sending me to this place. And Alyssa, I'm just proud of you that you said yes almost 10 years ago. You're saying yes every day to that calling. We're so thankful for the impact that public school kids are getting through young life. Alyssa will be in the lobby after our service, along with some of her colleagues, Jay and Rachel Panther, who run Young Life One, who takes care of and cares for uh, kids in Young Life that are in the foster care program. And so encourage you to, to jump out and, and say hi to one of them uh, as you leave here today. But God's calling, God's sending, isn't just for Alyssa or for Jay and Rachel Panther. God's calling, his sending, is for any of us that choose to follow him, that place our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and this passage here today in Luke chapter 9, these first six verses are a good reminder of that, as Jesus calls and then sends out the 12 to begin with. Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? It's the one who sends, the one who specifically sends you and I, who sends us out. Just a reminder, as we're walking through the Gospel of Luke in about 19 years, uh, verse by verse, no, seriously, it's going to be a long time, okay? Like, just keep going with us on this. But we started uh, about a year and a half ago in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, we hit verse, or chapter 4, and in chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, we're introduced to the ministry of Jesus in the region of Galilee. You can see the map on the screens here in what looks to me like orange. Is that orange to you or yellow? Okay, we'll we'll go with orange there. That's the area that Jesus was spending his time from Luke chapter 4, 14 to 15, all the way here to Luke chapter 9. And as we walk through Luke chapter 9 in the next few weeks, we'll eventually reach the end of verse 50 And that's when this season of ministry in the region of Galilee ends for Jesus. Beyond 950, Jesus then begins to head south to the region of Jerusalem. And ultimately heads to the cross. But we think it's about possibly maybe two years that he spends in this orange region in the area of the Galilee. He goes village to village. In fact, Luke chapter 8 talks about that, that Jesus goes into the villages and the towns of the Galilean region. And he preaches that the kingdom of God is here. And he heals diseases and changes people that he interacts with. Now, occasionally he will go uh, outside of this region during this period of Luke. Remember we talked about demon piggies? Uh, before Christmas. He goes over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and and ministers for a little time to the Gentiles there. But again, back to the region of Galilee, 240 towns and villages that we estimate were in this area. Did Jesus reach them all? I don't know. But did he reach a lot of them? Yes. And there was people that accompanied him in this two-year ministry, and it was the disciples. If you're in Luke 9, maybe just keep your finger there, but go over to Luke 5. You see in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus calls those first disciples, including Peter. And it says this, and likewise, in Luke 5, 10 and 11, and likewise also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear from now on, You'll be catching people. Remember, this is the calling at the sea. They were fishermen. And the next line says When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Following Jesus involves surrender, it involves surrendering your will and your way to the lordship, the kingship of the Messiah, the one who we call the Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no half in, half out as you follow Jesus Christ. It's not, I'll follow him on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday through Sunday is kind of my time. No, the call to follow Jesus is to be all in, to in a sense deny yourself and to take up your cross. These first disciples understood the cost. Well, they understood it at some level, and they dropped their stuff. They leave their town And they begin to follow Jesus into these 240 other villages and towns. And from Luke chapter 4, verse 14, all the way to the end of chapter 8, which we covered last week. And then now as we land in chapter 9, verse 1, for the most part, almost exclusively, the disciples are watching and observing Jesus they 're not actually participating in the ministry that that 's not to like sell them short though like they were they were fully invested they were on the boat on the Sea of Galilee when the storm rages, they thought they were going to die, and so there's a sense that yeah they 're experiencing all the things that Jesus is experiencing when miracles are happening they they have a front row seat and and I know that they were moved and, and touched by that so they 're not like um, I guess, uninvolved observers. But they're not actually involved in the actual ministry. This is Jesus, and they're just following Jesus at this point. I do want to make a note on that, though, that in these two years as they observe Jesus, I think there's a good principle for us that is when you become a follower of Jesus, there needs to be a time of apprenticeship. There needs to be a time of learning and observing and being poured into. I know sometimes here at Calvary, we run into people who who accept Christ and we're celebrating that. We're like, this is amazing. You've crossed over from death to life. But then we don't exactly give them the microphone the next Sunday to preach a message. There needs to be some time of, of learning and growing and continuing to surrender. And so that's what was happening to the disciples right here. The disciples were learning the ways of Jesus, literally following in the steps of the rabbi. But they were kind of like, I don't know, maybe fans at a Rams or Chargers game at SoFi. I heard a great quote. It's kind of a common quote, so maybe you've heard it before. But football is a great sport. It's 22 people on a field who desperately need a break. And it's thousands of people in the stands who desperately need to exercise. (laughs) Have you heard that before? Sometimes the church can be like that. You got 22 people who are working really hard. The rest of us are just kind of watching, right? May the Spirit of God just invite those that are watching here today to go all in, to play, to get on the field, in a sense. May this word today inspire, encourage, challenge you if you're just kind of watching from the stands, it's time to get in the game. And for the disciples, this began in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus calls a meeting. Look again at this verse that Alyssa read. It just simply says, one day, doesn't tell us what specific day, but Jesus called his 12 disciples. How cool is this? Jesus calls a meeting. Imagine. Uh, your typical meeting at your workplace. Imagine the highs and lows of the meetings that you have in your vocation. What do you think a meeting with Jesus would be like? If Jesus called together a bunch of us right now, what do you think that would feel like, look like, sound like? What would you experience? Up at the uh, Reagan Library, you know, in Simi Valley. It's a wonderful library if you've never been up there. At the Ronald Reagan Library, there's like different experiences you can walk through. There's air, like an Air Force One replica that you can um, enter into. There's also at the Reagan Library this room called the situational room. And you can go sit at this uh, nice cushy chair at this beautiful wood table. And you can imagine what it was like for Reagan and his presidential cabinet to make decisions in the mid-80s. And you kind of imagine yourself sitting in those seats as one of the president's advisors and and the weight that you would feel and the decisions you were talking about and and even just the excitement maybe you'd feel that the things that were accomplished in that room would would have impact over the rest of not only the nation, but the world. So I've sat at those seats and like imagined that, like, wow, what would that be like to be one of the, the cabinet members for the president? But imagine this, the the disciples gathered around Jesus, maybe not in a situational room, maybe not with cozy chairs along a, a huge wooden desk, but imagine Jesus just huddling up the disciples and be like, all right, boys, you've been watching me now for almost two years. Now, now I'm putting you in the game. Now, now get ready, right? This is, this is your opportunity. You've been seeing what I've been doing. Now it's your chance to experience it have you ever been a bench warmer on a sports team and you kind of like are always used to not playing and then all of a sudden like the coach calls you in and you just have no idea what to do i remember being a basketball player in junior high that was the epitome of my athletic career and uh, i remember going in like the fourth quarter of a game because that's when i would used to play when we were up by 30 or down by 30 and they'd call me in and they'd be like okay You're going to guard that guy. I'd be like, what guy? (laughs) And I'd be like wandering on the court like, who do I guard? What are the plays? I just want to disappear. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. This is the disciples. They've been watching Jesus. And then Jesus calls them together for this meeting. And he says, all right, guys, you're up. You're in. And then look at the second part of verse 1 here of Luke 9. Luke 9. Not only are you going to play now, but look what he does. He says, I give you power and authority. Jesus gives them, these guys that are following him, power and authority. And I want to just sit with that for a minute. The power and authority of Jesus. Our series is called, Who Is This? It's the one who can give power and authority to others, Jesus Christ Christ. Just a little quick word search through the Scriptures when it comes to power. In Luke chapter 4, again, you read about the idea that as Jesus began his Galilean ministry, the witnesses recognized pretty quickly that he had authority and power. But this wasn't a new phenomenon when it came to prophets in the Bible. If you even look in the Old Testament, you see in the book of Judges that a guy like Gideon was given power by God. Power by God to lead the people. Even though he was from the least of the clans, God gave him power, God gave him authority. Then you go into 1 Samuel, a little bit later in the scriptures, and you see David given power by God. God saying, out of my grace and out of my wonderful plan, I'm going to give you power to accomplish my will. And then you even see in the minor prophets a a prophet like Micah. Micah prophesying his ministry was before the the fall of the temple. And God gives Micah power to represent the people, to refresh them, to to give them hope in the midst of uh, what would be a really difficult time for the nation of Israel. And Micah, the scriptures say in the book named after him, was given power, given power by God. But these examples, David, Michael, Gideon, they're different than what we see here in Luke chapter 9. Because this isn't just Jesus receiving power and authority, which he did, but this is Jesus giving power and authority. I want us to note this. For example... Maybe this will connect. Imagine after church here today, you go down the street, you pull into the Chick-fil-A parking lot, you realize that it's closed, like, ah! Go next door to In-N-Out. You walk into In-N-Out, and it's taking a little bit longer than you want it to take to to get your order. You're like, I'm number 96, and they're on 13 right now. What do I do? (laughs) And so you're like, you know what? I'm hungry. I got places to go today. I'm just going to take matters in my own hands. And so you walk behind the counter of the in and out right here. And you began just making your own shake. And you began wandering over to the grill and you're like, "Oh, you know what? I'll take that one." And then you begin to fill up your fountain drink and prepare your fries. And you're kind of enjoying this. So then you begin to actually call out other people's number. You get that little microphone thing and you're like, "Uh, number uh uh uh." Like, "Wait, what?" "Uh uh uh." I don't know what you're saying. Sorry, I'm just working out my own angst about In-N-Out right now. But, uh, (laughs) and you get, you start giving out orders and the In-N-Out staff is just like bewildered. Like, what are you doing? We need to like call some authority. Like you don't have the power or the right or the authority to give out these orders or even to take your own. This isn't your role. And I want us to understand here, if you can somehow connect an In in-and-out lame illustration with Luke chapter nine. Jesus is giving out power and authority because He owns all power and authority. He is the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega. The bright and morning star, the one that is to come. His name is Jesus Christ, the one who saves. Gideon didn't have the power or authority to transfer what he had been given by God to someone else. Neither did David. Neither did Micah. Neither did any prophet before Jesus. Who is this one? Jesus Christ who's able not only to live and minister in power and authority, but he's also able to give power and authority. It's worth following. Another reason to follow Christ, because he is the worthy one to do this. And then it goes on at the end of one, beginning of verse two. Look at here. He says, he gives them power and authority to cast out all demons and heal all diseases. Verse two. He tells them to proclaim the kingdom of God. The king has arrived, Jesus Christ, and to heal the sick, which is a demonstration of the kingdom. So it's both word and deed. He commissions the disciples, these 12, I'm going to make you ambassadors. You're going to proclaim with your words what I've come to do, and you're going to show with your actions that I ultimately have the power and the authority. I'm going to give you this right to be my ambassadors, to be my spokespeople for this. Again, a little side note on this. It's interesting in this Galilean ministry from Luke 4 to Luke 9, how many demonic interactions that Jesus has, how even in this passage he's calling his disciples to go after the demons. I really believe as you look at the scriptures that this time this era, these three years of Jesus' ministry were the greatest three years of spiritual warfare that the world has ever known. As Satan realized the time had come and Satan unleashes all the fury that he can conjure up towards thwarting the plans of God through the Messiah, Jesus. And so I just am guessing and I'm analyzing that even the people of this region were like, wow, this, the demonic forces, this has, this has never been this obvious or, or in our faces before. And so Jesus, recognizing this, sends the disciples to tackle that because ultimately he has p- power and authority over every living creature and over every spiritual creature too. Amen? Amen. You know when the second greatest time of spiritual warfare will be? be I believe it will be in the end times so the first is in the ministry of the life of Jesus the second is in the end times 2 Timothy 3 talks about that that in the latter days there will be so much trial and tribulation and tough things I believe that's because the warfare of the enemy will once again be unleashed is that even happening right now Lord I just pray That is, you gave authority and power to the disciples, God, that you would give us, the church, here in 2024, power and authority to tackle and conquer the enemy, not only in this region, but worldwide. God, use us. Use us, Lord. And so you have the disciples sent out, and then Jesus gives them these interesting instructions. In verse 3, he basically says, travel light, guys. Don't bring a lot with you as I send you out to these regions. He specifically lists all these things, like don't do this, don't take this. We'll read more about this in the next chapter in, in Luke chapter 10. Interesting, later in the gospel of Luke, Jesus does add a couple things that they can bring on their journey. But in this particular time, Jesus is really interested in them being completely dependent on him. Completely dependent on the spirit of God to lead them, to guide them, to protect them. He says, travel light. It's the opposite of this. <laughs> I found this, um, like one of those Facebook ads that pops up. I don't know what I searched to, to have this um, target me. But this is an actual backpack that you can buy. It costs $999. And here's the description of this wonderful backpack right here. Whether you're looking to lug around to all your textbooks or you just want to discreetly sneak food into the movies, people still do that. This giant Jansport backpack will get the job done. It features the iconic yet simplistic Jansport design and measured an impressive 55 by 42. Inches, 9 9999 Jesus says do the opposite as he sends the disciples. Barely take anything. In fact, in the next verse, he says, and as far as your accommodations, where you live, just find one person of peace. Find one person that will take you in and then just stay with them during the time of your ministry. There's some background to this. There was kind of traveling religious people during the first century who were really using uh, people and their uh, interest in growing towards God for their own monetary gain, for their own personal comfort. Not much different than today, right? And so they would upgrade. They would come to a village and they would go to the first person that would take them in. But as their message became more well-received, they'd find a bigger, better house. Maybe a better cook. They would kind of move their way up the ladder of society in their stay. Jesus says, I don't want you to be about that. I don't want anyone to accuse you of false motives. So travel light and just simply stay with the first person who invites you in. And there's this wonderful dependence on God that Jesus is training the disciples to do right there. He's causing them to be humble, causing them not to rely on themselves. You know, back in the prophet Isaiah, he says something like that. He goes, You guys, as you follow God, just understand that it's an upside down kingdom. That he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. The disciples, although they were given power and authority by Christ for this mission, were pretty powerless people. They couldn't bring anything, just stay in one home, not super educated, never done this before. They were just following Jesus, but had never actually participated in ministry. They didn't have a ton of credentials or, or authority for them. God says, that's where I want you, just to be dependent, reliant, humble on me. I think as all of us step into where God is sending us, there is a sense of uh, smoothing out our rough edges And humbling us through circumstances and causing each of us to be dependent on him. Maybe for you that's going to be signing up to work with fourth and fifth graders here on a Sunday morning. You're going to go in there and you're going to be like, they're all going to be listening to me on week one. They're going to be like, tell us more. We want to read the Bible more. No, please don't stop. And and then you get in there. We have a wonderful program there. But all of a sudden you have kids that get a little candy in them and They're not listening to you like you were hoping they were going to listen to you. Or maybe you get involved in in some missions opportunity and you're like, oh, it's going to go boom, boom, boom. I'm going to raise my support and then I'm going to go. And then all of a sudden the support raising is a a little more difficult than you thought it would be. This is all God's refining process, keeping us humble, dependent on him. When I was first entering in or thinking about entering into full-time vocational ministry— We're all in ministry, but I felt a call to vocational ministry. And so as an intern, kind of learning the ropes, I had to take several other jobs uh, to make ends meet. And so one of the jobs I had was with women of faith. I don't know if you've heard of that ministry. I don't know if it's even around anymore, but I was an operator for women of faith. And so every day for four hours, I'd pick up the phone and be like, hi, this is women of faith. (laughs) Math speaking. <laughs> it was just a humbling thing over and over to be answering calls and helping people uh, figure out their, their ticket situation. Also, during that season, I worked in the mail room at Chevron headquarters in La Habra. And it was a nice job. I could do it for a couple hours and it allowed me to do ministry at night here. And so I worked in the mail room, getting all the mail kind of sorted and stacked, and then I had this cart, and I would walk the cart around through the C-suite of the Chevron headquarters. C-suite, meaning all the executives, right? And I'll never forget, it was like my second or third day doing this, and I'm wheeling my cart, and it kind of squeaked. (laughs) I'm wheeling my cart, and I see the next office I'm supposed to put mail into. This is when they did stuff like this, like before email, and I see the suite, and there's a name on the outside of the door, and it's a girl that I went to college with that I was in a marketing class with, and it was three years in the past, and I was kind of the big baseball player back then, and I remember kind of like even feeling like she like, wow, kind of admired me a little bit, and like, oh, I'm like, hey, how you doing? Give you a little minute of my day, and now three years later, And I get her stack of mail and I walk in. I'm not sure why I'm hunched over but that's just what I am. And, um, and I walk in with her mail and she goes, Matt Doan? And I go, yeah. She goes, I didn't know. I mean, She's trying to catch her words like, I didn't know you'd be doing this. Or, I don't know what she was thinking but I was like, here's your mail, good sir. <laughs> Top of the morning to you. And uh, it was humbling. God refining me, growing me. Causing me to be dependent on him. He's still doing that today. When you step into the places that God sends you, don't be surprised, don't be thrown when it also involves being humbled and being in a place where you don't have a big backpack. You got to travel light. Come to verse 5 of Luke 9. This is a rather strange passage. This detail right here says, travel light, and then he says, shake the dust off your feet if you're rejected. Now, there is some context to this that we have to understand. Uh, In first century, in these Jewish regions, when people would leave the Jewish regions to go to Gentile areas, maybe to do business, some type of travel, when they came back into their region, they would do something ceremoniously to remind themselves that they were now stepping back onto God's ground, onto God's holy ground. They would take the sandal of their, their feet, and they would just shake it. In a sense, to remind themselves that they were now entering into holy land. Now, was that true? No, God's, God belongs, he has authority over all land, Right? But for the Jews, they were going, I'm shaking off the grossness of these pagan religions and I'm walking back into the place where the one true God is worshipped. Now, though, Jesus says something pretty radical. You see, these disciples weren't sent to Gentile towns. They were sent to Jewish towns. And Jesus says, if you're rejected by them, shake the dust off of your feet, just like you would do if you are exiting a Gentile area. Pretty radical. Thinking about that, that the disciples already scared, already traveling light, trying to just figure out what this means to actually participate in ministry, to be sent out, and there to show and reveal God's judgment when they're rejected. Now, God's judgment always comes with the opportunity for grace. God's judgment always comes with an opportunity to have that judgment convict us and then cause us to repent and run to the grace of God. And so as they shook the dust off their feet, the prayer was they would experience conviction and then accept the message that the king had arrived, that the kingdom of God was here. So the disciples weren't the ultimate judge, this wasn't the ultimate authority of "You now have no hope," but it was to wake the people up. Sometimes, in our lives, we need conviction. We need to be woken up, We need to experience the consequences of sin, not just so we'll wallow in it, but so that we'll repent and return to the, the gracious God as seen through Jesus Christ. So it says, shake the dust off your feet. And then verse 6. Then they go and do it. They began traveling around the different villages and towns. It's their first short-term missions trip. (laughs) They're sent out. You wonder if Jesus was like, wonder how they're doing. We'll see. Can't wait till they get back. Wonder if all 12 will come back. We'll see how this works. And Jesus, in his grace goodness, faithfulness sends them out. Jesus is still in the business of sending us out here today. It's not in Luke 9, but in a different gospel. Gospel of John chapter 20. This is post-resurrection. In verse 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so God's ascending God, I am sending you. So Jesus sends us as his ambassadors, both in power and indeed, to a world that desperately needs to hear that the King has come, that the kingdom of God has arrived. So I have a few questions for us, just to think about. It's still early in two thousand twenty-four. Still, still time to kind of shape and shift what this year will look like for each of us. I just have a few questions. Where is God sending you this year? Where is He calling you? Maybe you're like Alyssa. You're wrestling with that. It's time to get in the game. Where is He sending you even just today? Maybe not even six months from now, a year ago. Where is He sending you tomorrow? To your workplace, to family, to friends, to places of influence. Where is God sending you? And then look beyond that. Where may he be sending you in the future? Where is God putting people, places on your heart and saying, I'll give you power and authority. Your job is to obey and to go. You can be encouraged by this. Wherever God sends us, he will equip us. And wherever God sends us, he will go with us. A couple tools I want to even just alert you to So you consider, where would God send you? One is that we have a class starting two nights from today. It's called Perspectives. It's a 15, 16-week course, three hours every Tuesday night. Costs a little bit of money. But it's an amazing course to really understand God's heart, to understand His heart for the world and nations and your role in it. And I would just invite you, to jump into this class, starting this Tuesday night, it's at C200, the middle of campus. We also have a resource that was developed last year by several of our team here. It's really good. It's a discipleship inventory. And it's basically something for you just to walk through and to recognize where God has gifted you and, and given you experiences in, and it's basically to understand what's in my toolbox that I could be giving to somebody else. As God sends me out, here's some things that I could offer. It's meant to be done not in isolation, but with somebody else. And so you can find this online. We have some in the lobby here today too. I encourage you to pick up one of these inventories and walk through it with somebody else and go, God, equip me as you send me. And then finally, as we enter back into worship through music, if you want to just pray with somebody, maybe you're at a place, a crossroads in your life, and you're like, ah, I feel like God might be sending me this way. He might be sending me this way. Or maybe I'm just stuck. I'm, I'm in SoFi Stadium just watching. If you just want another believer to pray with you, to encourage you with that, I would encourage you to find one of the prayer points just so we enter back into worship. So let's pray. Father, thank you that by nature you're ascending God. Thank you for the example of the disciples here in Luke 9. They weren't perfect. They weren't necessarily even ready. But God, as they depended on you, you moved and acted and worked through them. God, may that be our story too. We pray this in Christ. Amen.